today uh, we'll see how that plays out as well. This is what Luke tells us. Chapter 16, verse 9, during the night Paul had a vision. There stood a man of Macedonia pleading with him and saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. Today, friends, we proclaim the good news that the Christian life is animated by the Holy Spirit who says no and yes to us, changing our plans, guiding our relationships, and moving us into surprising places. Be filled with this Spirit today. Let us surrender to this work among us. I pray the Lord be with you. God, open us up. Help us to receive. We are just control freaks. I'm a big enough control freak for everyone in this room. God, help us to consent to your power and your presence. The resurrection, new creation, life you want to give us today. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Last week, I was in Atlanta for an exciting gathering of Anglicans. I know that sounds oxymoronic, uh, but it was exciting, called the Telos Collective. It's a group of people that are seeking to remissionalize Anglicanism in a post-Christian, 21st century, postmodern world. And uh, we stayed at this nice little boutique hotel in Atlanta uh, called the Artmore, and it has this uh, great patio outside. Um, and every night we would gather there and talk. The first night... Um, I was one of the few people who was not wearing my collar uh, that first night. And so uh, I'm hanging out, and uh, a woman comes up walking uh, out of the bar directly to us with her dog, and she kind of goes on this rant. Apparently, she had just settled her bar bill with the bartender, and he had said, Here's your change, have a good night. And make sure you get some rest. And she walked right up to us and said, do I look like I need rest? (laughs) She was steaming mad. um, Because she took his uh, exhortation as condemnation. And so she was asking me and about eight other priests, uh, do I look that tired? Uh, And uh, we spoke for about 20 minutes about, Um, how sometimes guys say stupid things to women. And then she sort of wandered off with her dog and sat down. In the course of the 20 minutes, she kind of shared bits and pieces of her story. Um, She uh, had moved out of her boyfriend's house and her stepchildren's house that week and moved into this hotel. Uh, She was between places. Uh, And she said on a number of times, it's been a hard week for me but I don't think I look that tired. So her name is Lexi, and uh, we talked to Lexi a bit. That, uh, was, as I was going to bed that night, she was still on the patio. Uh, I chatted with her. Ben and I chatted with her, went to bed. Felt like it was a really good connection. Felt like there were a couple opportunities for me to just pro- proclaim good news to her right where she was at, which is what I'm seeking to do no matter who I'm talking to. Um, if your name's Lexi, let's do it. If your name's not Lexi, you'll still get some good news from me. That's just kind of how I roll. So the next night, um, she was out. I, t- I said, hey, we'll be, I'll be here every night this week. We'll be back next 
like tomorrow night too. So I'd love to hear what's going on. You're looking for a place. You're trying to find a job. So the next night, we again, we're chatting, and there were these moments where she was sharing. Uh, you, you know, some people just have, some people their story is locked deep inside, and some people wear their story all over them, you know? And so she had some, like, neck tattoos. She had, like, a, a Narcotics Anonymous tattoo on her hand. So those are just very, I mean, you don't get neck tattoos if you don't want people to ask you about them. <laughs> you know? It's sort of fair game. <laughs> and so I just started asking her what a tattoos meant, and she started sharing. It was really um, a, a, a great connection. And I'm always careful when I'm talking to, when I'm out of town without my wife, and I'm not wearing my collar, and I'm talking to uh, women who just broke up with their abusive boyfriends, that, um, like, I tend to be kind of jokey, and I tend to, like, look people in the eye, and I tend to get familiar really quick. And so I had my, uh, I girded up my anti-flirt uh, armor, just trying to make sure that I wasn't communicating anything that could be misconstrued as uh, anything more than me just being concerned for her well-being. The second night, though, at the end of the night, she's like, hey, what are you in town for? A uh, conference. Oh, what's the conference about? And I'm thinking, uh, if I say <laughs> remissionalizing 21st century Anglicanism, I might as well be speaking French to this woman, right? So I, I kind of made some general comments about, like, something. But I remember in that moment, in that, I mean, eventually I was like, I'm an Anglican priest, and we're here to do priesty things. And then she was like, oh, okay, I, I knew some Southern Baptists once. And I was like, great, we got a good connection here. We're, <laughs> you know, we're, we're chiving. Um, uh, I remember in that moment, I'd probably spoken with her now like about three hours. And in that moment, which happens to me all the time, it always feels like a Jesus juke to me. You know what I mean? It's like, I don't, I'm not like talking to you because I have to, and I'm also not talking to you because, hey, if I go to Atlanta and get somebody saved, then I got another notch in my Awana belt. You know, like that's not what I'm trying to do, um, but I, I'm really aware, <laughs> some of you know what I'm talking about, uh, but I'm really, hey, preach, I see that hand, uh, I, I, I'm really keenly aware that that's maybe what it feels like. So there's one piece of like um, the story I want to tell you is that in that moment, I felt like something was compromised between us. Um, and that could have just been me, but her, her posture and body and face changed when she found out I was a priest. So this is all happening while I'm surrounded by colleagues who uh, brought collars and are wearing collars to this event. You'll notice, I'm not sure if you've noticed, but I am wearing a collar this morning. <laughs> This is the first Sunday I've worn a collar at the table. If this is your first Sunday here, this isn't normal. I, didn't, I don't typically wear my collar because it, it feels sometimes like a hindrance or an obstacle in engaging people. Um, I, I, I don't often wear it because it feels like I'm submitting to a tradition of wearing clerical dress that I don't fully understand. Um, and it, it seems... I can't uh, immediately think of a theological or missional reason to do it. So I'm driven by theology and mission, and if, if I, and I have hitherto, <laughs> it's a good day already, 
hitherto, I haven't been able to discern what that reason would be. Like, what, what's theologically, what am I doing here? And, and, and missionally, what does this serve? And, I, and then thirdly, I didn't wear it because I didn't like it. <clears throat> um, but the Spirit is always saying no and yes. Yes and no. We'll see this in our text in a second. So uh, I, was, I had this kairos provoked, meaning this interaction with Lexi and all these colleagues wearing collars and, and me sort of inside, it was bothering me. And I just trust God's presence at work and whatever's bothering me. This is, this, is, this is the DNA of our church, friends. If something is ticking you off, God's probably going to get you saved. It's not somebody else's fault. It's not your circumstances. You don't have to get past or through or fix that thing and then God can be at work. But if something is cranking you up, it's probably the kingdom of God ready to, un- to break in in your life. So I'm noticing this is kind of bothering me. So I have some talks with some colleagues at this event. And I came to see that all of the reasons on the surface that I thought I wasn't wearing my collar were rubbish. It wasn't what was really going on. Here's the two things that were really going on about me not wearing a collar. Do you want to hear? Do you want to know? Yeah. All right, well. Um, the first is, uh, I like to be in charge of the story you tell yourself about me. This is why I don't wear shirts that say Reebok or Fila or some Walmart brand. What is it? Great value. I like to be in charge of the story you tell yourself about me as much as possible. And the thing about a collar is, there's a lot of stories attached to it. A lot that I'm not in charge of. A lot that I want nothing to do with. And that drives me nuts. And two, uh, when I wear a collar, I am declaring to everyone who sees it that I am, that the doctor is in. That I'm, I get paid to be a Christian and I'm available. And I don't like that. I want autonomy over when I'm available to you and I'm not. If I want to go to a coffee shop and put in my Air, AirPods and listen to secular music, I'm going to do it. Gosh darn it. I don't like, I don't like the fact that I can't hide in a collar. So as I realized those two reasons, I realized, well, those would probably be different if the kingdom of God came in my life. I'd probably be less concerned about the story other people tell about themselves about me. And I would probably uh, not be Lord of my time and my energy and my resources the way that I want to be. The Holy Spirit caught me up hindered me from continuing on my path and called me to Macedonia. And so here I am today in Macedonia wearing a collar. I wore it Thursday too. I wore it to my son's uh, choir concert on Thursday. And uh, it was a little awkward because I'm like, hey, Sharon, I'm going to wear a collar today. What do you think about that? And she was like, it's kind of weird. 
I get in line, and I'm just, like, I've seen all these parents and these kids for three years, and I've never worn a collar around them, and now, like, they're, and, and, like, I'm not, we were in line, what, 30 seconds, and our, and my atheist friend and his wife walk up, and they're like, whoa. (laughs) I mean, we spend a lot of time with these people, and they're like, whoa, what's going on? I was like, well, I'm just wearing a a collar. (laughs) You knew, you knew I was a priest. So here I am this morning wearing a collar, the spirit uh, interrupted the reasons I thought I wasn't wearing it, and, and now it's a discipline for me to wear it before you. The Spirit changed my plans, but guiding me, moving me into this surprising, maybe kind of awkward, too. This, it kind of fits like a blouse, you know? I'm not really, I haven't been into blouses for years. How do you sense the leading of the Holy Spirit? How do you understand what his voice sounds like in your life? Do you, do you, can you name it? And what do you do if you can name it? Do you resist it? Do you ignore it? Do you explain it away? Do you tell yourself another story about it like I do? Do you get dreams and visions? Do you hear audible voices? Can you name how the Spirit is changing or guiding or moving or animating you today? Friends, we want to be a people that are animated by the Holy Spirit, that are shaped and moved by the presence of heaven among us. Amen? Today, this is the good news. Today, the good news is our life, our Christian life, is animated by the Holy Spirit who says no and yes to us to change our plans to guide our relationships, and to move us into some surprising and sometimes awkward places. Be filled with that spirit today. Surrender to his work in your life today. There's two parts of our text I want to draw our attention to. The first is the Macedonian call. You've heard this phrase before. And the second is what happens in Philippi. So the Macedonian call, uh, Nancy started... Uh, I believe, Nancy, it was you, right? Yeah, uh, Nancy started uh, reading uh, in verse 9, I believe, but I want to go back because um, sometimes the lectionary is beautiful in the way it breaks up texts, and sometimes not so beautiful. So there's this the story we're entering into here. So listen in verse 6. <clears throat> they, Paul and his companions, including Timothy now, fresh off of his, uh, you know, circumcision, they... When they limped through the region of Phrygia, I'm just thinking, like, how did, you know, Paul, like, argues, writes an entire book, an entire letter. Like, if you submit to circumcision, you might as well just emasculate yourself. And he's like, Timothy, except for you. (laughs) We're going on this missionary journey. We're going to get you circumcised. Get the short end of the stick. <laughs> I sense the spirit saying no right now. <clears throat> can we get can we get back to the axe here? Let's get back. They went through <clears throat> I'm gonna need some water. <clears throat> They went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, 
Listen to this. Having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. Verse 7. When they had come opposite Mysia, they attempted to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. Twice we're told the Spirit stopped them from doing things. What they wanted to do. We imagine they wanted to speak the word in Asia, and they wanted to go into Bithynia. The Spirit says no. So I have two questions immediately. What does it mean that they were, quote, forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia? What does that mean? And two, how did the Spirit of Jesus not allow them to go to Bithynia? What was actually happening there? Traffic jam? Maybe. Yeah, just camels, like plugging up the bridge. Uh, the, the, the answer is, I have no idea what that means. But Luke sure does. Luke doesn't feel any need to explain it. Luke doesn't feel any need to qualify it, to defend it, to justify it. He just states it like people would go, oh, oh, yeah, 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 makes sense. And then that's coupled with the Spirit saying, yes, Paul falls asleep, verse 9, and he has a vision, which is probably a dream. He could have woken up and had a vision, but, you know, you've, all of us had lucid dreams where we think we're awake and we're not, so who knows what's going on here other than he's having a vision, probably a dream. And there's a man who says, <clears throat> come to Macedonia and help us, Ple implores, pleads, like begs. Uh, friends, I don't, I don't know if you have dreams and visions like this. Um, I, I do know this, like in other parts of the world, people have dreams and visions all the time. Depending on the stats you read and the study you read, anywhere from 25 to 45% of Muslims in the Middle East who convert to Christianity have a vision or a dream of Jesus talking to them. And it's, it's not like I've been going to this uh, crew Bible study for two years and Jesus shows up and quotes my fighter verses at me. It's not that. It's like, I don't even know who, like, Jesus just appears, starts speaking the gospel of John to me. I, I go and tell a Christian missionary that I know in town what Jesus spoke, and they're like, oh, he was reciting the gospel of John to you. And they never read it before. I mean, it's like that kind of crazy stuff, right? So dreams and visions are happening in other parts of the world. Probably more than they're happening in the West. That's a different sermon to talk about that. But sometimes, friends, I just want you to see here, sometimes the Spirit says, no, don't, don't speak the word in Asia. Don't go to Bithynia. And sometimes the Spirit says, yes, come to Macedonia and help us. Can we discern when the Spirit is saying no and yes in our lives? This seems to be a vital, crucial competency of any disciple. This is why we, uh, this is why I started by naming a Kairos moment. Like our discipleship training here at the table is about naming what the Spirit is doing in our lives and then discerning that together. Short starts. We trust that God cares about it more than we do. And that the Holy Spirit has actually been giving, given to us, like Jesus says, as an advocate like the Holy Spirit is championing our maturation in Jesus already. There's no way you can care about it more than he does. No way. There's no way I can care about it more than he does. No way. So one of the ways that we trust that is we just begin to be attentive and aware 
and discern what that looks like. Because the Christian life is animated by the Spirit. Who says no and yes? Both. By changing our plans, guiding our relationships, and moving us into surprising places. So be filled with the Spirit today. Let's surrender to God's work in our midst. So then he hears this man. Paul hears this man. say, come to Macedonia. So Paul, so they just go. <laughs> they just go to Macedonia. And they, they show up in Philippi. Notice, friends, what's crazy, uh, crazy uh, to me is that this Macedonian man doesn't show up again. It's not like uh, the Macedonian man says, go to Macedonia, and we're told, so Paul sets out looking for this man who asked for his help. In fact, most of the stuff that happens in, Mac in Macedonia and Philippi is with women, right? This is different, I think, than the way that w if we get a sense of what God's doing, we get a vision or a dream, like we take that and we create a huge strategy based on it and then we just go for it. It's like we see this vision of a man and we, we get a sketch artist, he sketches the man up for us, we run it through a database on the internet, try to find this person's face. Like we get really, really strategic, really, right? So that like God gave me a little bit of revelation and the, and the message we give God is, okay, God, I got it from here. I'll execute on this vision. I'll take care of this for you. Thanks for the little help. I got this. That's not what we see Paul doing. The Spirit moves Paul to go to Philippi, where he goes outside the city to a bunch of women, and he stays with a single woman as a single man. No problem, right? What, what the Spirit is doing here, friends, is taking Paul, who's a single man, traveling with other, we presume, single men, and taking them into a midst of, of wealthy women, and Lydia is a, is a single woman, whether she's a widow or not, we don't know, but she's a single woman who has some sort of means, because she has a household, and we know the church meets in her house in Philippi, and as an expression of her baptism, she says, I want you to stay in my house. And it's so, it's so interesting the way that Luke narrates their decision to stay there. If you have judged me to be faithful in the Lord, come and stay at my home. As a witness to my new creation identity, I'm extending hospitality to you. And then Luke says, and she prevailed upon us. Um. This is the Spirit moving in surprising relationships and surprising places. If you, are, if you are a marginalized sect of Judaism, your missional strategy isn't to shack up with single women. This is, right? I was talking to my neighbor last night, and he was talking about his son who just got a car, and he, he was talking about how his son, he's in college, and his son came home at 3 a.m. last night. Uh, and he, and uh, my neighbor's not a Christian, but he was like, what do you, he was like telling me, what do you do at 3 a.m.? And I was like, well, I remember what I was doing at 3 a.m. in college. You know, and I didn't, I didn't want to say that to him because um, he, he was a little inebriated. Um, <clears throat> but he goes, he looked at me, he goes, nothing good happens at 3 a.m. And I was like, yeah. That's basically like, 
If you're a single dude missionary, nothing good can happen if you stay with a single woman, right? All kinds of rumors or whatever can happen, can be unleashed. But the Holy Spirit is clearly doing something in Lydia. She becomes the patron of the church of Philippi. She becomes the person who hosts Paul's church at Philippi. It becomes a base of operation. This is really important, friends. She's probably a financial supporter of Paul's missionary activity, but she also spends the most time with Paul of anybody we know in Philippi. She's the only person Luke names in Philippi, and he doesn't name many people. There's a jailer that later gets saved. Who knows what his name was? What this indicates is that she was a person of significance and importance to the church in Philippi. So Paul stayed at her house. We know the church met at her house. We know she had some wealth and means, and she probably supported Paul. I mean, if we weren't, if we weren't biased, which we all are, we would probably just surmise that she's the person who pastored the Philippian church. If, if we don't start with the assumption that women can't lead churches then there's extremely good evidence that she led the church of Philippi. And in doing that, like, it's, there's a challenge for us today. And I want to state this carefully but clearly. A lot of Christian energy today about relationships between men and women, not just single men and women, but even married men and women, is based upon protecting and not giving any appearance of evil. And we live in a really jacked up culture that has sexualized every relationship in our lives. Right? But I think this text challenges us today to say, um, maybe, maybe through our baptism and through the, what the Spirit is doing, maybe He wants to teach men and women how to be friends again. Like, maybe, I'm going to speak to the guys. Guys, maybe women aren't primarily a stumbling block or temptation to you. Maybe that's your own business. Maybe it's time that women begin to hear from us that um, they're important, that they can lead the Philippian church, uh, that, hey, they can even support us financially. I mean... Maybe it's not biblical manhood to take care of women. Maybe it's biblical womanhood to take care of men. Maybe we need to be challenged with that today. And for women, um, for whatever it's worth, we're committed to you leading here. Not just financially. I mean, you can give us all your money. Uh, maybe, maybe you, make, uh, you sell purple clothes. Um, but I mean like... Um, you're worth spending, you're worth my time. You're worth my time. And uh, whatever awkwardness or surprise, or uncomfortability in that social space, it's okay. Because the Spirit's always done that. And we have to work through it with integrity and vulnerability and humility. 
Because the Christian life is animated by the Spirit. And the Spirit's always saying no and yes. To, to change our direction. To move us into relationships with people. Even surprising, awkward situations. That we wouldn't choose otherwise. I had no plan to go to Macedonia. I thought I was going to meet a dude here. I guess I'll stay with a woman. Be filled with the Spirit, friends. Today. Now, I'm an Anglican, so I probably should mention that Lydia believed in, in the word of the Lord. And, uh, and when she believed, her entire household was baptized. <laughs> I think you see the implications to that, right? There are kids being baptized here based upon the faith of... There are slaves and children of slaves being baptized based upon the faith of the household leader. Baptism is an initiation into a way of life that you have to be formed into. But I won't preach that today. So um, what does this mean for us? So, um, you know, we never planned to plant a church in Broderpool. Can I get an amen, Carmen? We just didn't plan, we didn't plan to be here. Um, um, but this is where we are, and it was surprising. And it was based upon some relationships that we had with the lead pastor of Spirit of Joy. And once we planted here, like uh, many of you are, are meeting here on Sunday morning because of where this building is, that you wouldn't be driving another 20 minutes north to Podunk Fishers. Um, so part of the way we lead, Ben and I, part of the way we lead we, tr we try to lead um, in the way we see the New Testament people leading, which is we have a direction, we have an orientation. We're going to try to go preach the gospel, uh, you know, in Asia, but maybe the Spirit prevents us. And so then that's not when we, like, you know, roll up our sleeves and, like, use some worldly power to get our way, but we just say, okay, God, you care about our church more than we do. Where do you want us to go? Help us, help us deal with this. Right? So we're not here based upon strategy. We're here based upon the Holy Spirit. I think. Um, and it continues to be surprising. And uh, when I allow myself to be cynical, not ideal, but it is. It just is. We are shacking up with single ladies in here. Like, that's how it feels to me. That was a metaphor. You guys get the metaphor there. <laughs> metaphor. It was a metaphor. Probably. Yeah. I mean, me wearing this collar today is me personally responding to what the Spirit's doing in my life. One of the things we want to do corporately, I'll say this and then we'll respond, is um, I, I have no doubt that one of the tensions I have in preaching is that you know, I sit with the text and I pray over a text and I talk to you and I declare good news to you, but I don't, I mean, I, at the beginning of our sermon, I pray the Lord be with you and you say also with you, and what that does is it says, I, the Spirit is alive and at work in this body during our worship. And I don't have the only ears and eyes to see and hear. I trust that God is speaking to each of you. And sometimes God is speaking to each of you for things, not just for you, but for other people. But how would you know? Right? So one of the things we want to explore here, and I've talked to Sean about this a little bit, um, and I, I want to talk to other people who are interested in this after I say it, um, is uh, we want to develop a, a prophetic team at the table. I was talking to a friend at this uh, Anglican uh, white-collar affair uh, last week, and hey, 
I'll be here for three more minutes. And uh, one of the priests was saying that um, at, their, at their church, they've got a prophetic team where today Ryan's running the um, soundboard and this, and they've got like Ryan's cell number. And if they get a picture of a woman in a red dress or a verse that comes to mind or an exhortation or a word of encouragement, that they would text it to Ryan. And Ryan would gather these uh, words and he would put them on a slide and they would be put up during communion, just as words, not attached to any certain person, right? And then if, if the word is, is, you feel like, oh, that speaks to me, then you would go seek out a prayer minister to pray through that word together. Um, and that just seems, that seems really good to me and Ben as a way of, of allowing the Spirit to speak in our midst but not have to come through one mouthpiece but to speak in the body. I mean, we talk about this all the time, and how do we live into that? So that's an idea we're exploring. So uh, if you feel like you would like to be a part of that, um, come talk to me. would love to hear more about that. Um, we really do want to be a charismatic people, friends, which doesn't just mean like we start laughing uncontrollably or get gold dust on our cheeks. I mean, I know this is a little bit, I, I know some of us are like, come Lord Jesus. But uh, it also means that we just become responsive to the Spirit. So in a moment, we're going to pray. Every, every time we proclaim good news, we get a chance to respond immediately to that good news. And that's, that doesn't complete our duty, but that just trains us to be responsive, to say yes, to actually go to, like it's our little go to Macedonia moment, where we don't have to understand why. We don't attach any outcomes or expectations. I'm going to meet this man as soon as I get off the boat. No, we just say yes. We just say yes. So let's do that. Yeah, together? Let's say yes. There's a little prayer in your booklet. Do you know why we use these prayers, friends? This is why we use these prayers. Um, two reasons. One, um, the goal isn't to unlock the blessings of God through your eloquent prayer. You have a good father who knows what you need before you ask. You don't have to heap up words like the like the Gentiles do. <laughs> Gentiles. We don't have to heap up words. We don't have to dance and cut ourselves in the mountaintop to get God to show up. Your Father knows what you need before you ask. So this disciplines us just to trust that. That's what it does. So we're going to pray together. Come Holy Spirit, fill us, renew us, and move us according to your mission. And then, is this personal or is this for us? Lead me or us in blank. Something you want to submit We give up control of our life to you. And then, Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Okay? I'll start us out, okay? And then just pray as you feel it. Come, Holy Spirit, fill us, renew us, and move us according to your mission. Lead us in listening to words of prophecy and pictures. We want to dream dreams and have visions in a way that leads us into gospel mission. We give up control of our life to you. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Lord Jesus, just as you open Lydia's heart to the word, open our hearts to your stirring, to your summoning, to your movement. 
Move us, Jesus. We don't want to be more convinced or more uh, have greater certitude. We want to be more surrendered and have greater pliability. Animate us. Empower us. Advocate for us. as your church fulfills your mission in the world. We pray this in your mercy, Jesus. Amen.